Let's open our Bible to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. You guys probably don't remember, but actually at the beginning of the year, just at the end of last year, hard to believe we're already six months into the year, we started in Ephesians chapter 4, and I taught through Ephesians chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. Then um, we took uh, a little break from that when Christmas came and and then with Easter. But I'm going to go back to Ephesians, and we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 1. And we'll, uh, we'll look at Ephesians 1 today, the first 14 verses. And over the next, over the next several weeks, I'm going to finish the book of Ephesians. We're going to go through chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3 of Ephesians. And then as we do this, we'll kind of tie in some of the things that we learned in the latter half of this letter. Ephesians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in a town called Ephesus. That's why they were called Ephesians. They lived in this town. This town, Ephesus, was in Asia, what we would call modern-day Turkey today. And Ephesus was a center of religion, not true religion, not good religion. It was an occult center. So it was a center of false worship. It was a large, important city in Asia. And Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians, and it's a very foundational letter. It deals with things that are very foundational to our faith. You know, one of the most important things that you can know is to know who you are. If you don't know who you are, sooner or later you're going to run into problems in life because you don't know your identity. Uh, I deal a lot with people who, who are struggling in life and and it's not uncommon for me to encounter someone and they have no identity. Now, they know who they are, or they think they know who they are. They might be able to tell me who their name, what their name is, but they literally don't have an identity. Do you know what you can't do without an identity? There's a lot of things you can't do. You can't get a normal job. You can't... Uh, they won't even give you a hotel room if you don't have an identity. There's all kinds of things that stand as barriers in front of you if you don't have an identity. Now, I'm not talking about just that little plastic card you carry around in your wallet. I mean, that's, that's, what, we, that's what I'm talking about with these people that I often have to deal with. But it's a... It's a There's a deeper truth here. Many people have their they have their ID. They can pull their ID out of their pocket and show me their driver's license, show me their their ID, and prove that that's who they are. 
But the Bible says we have an identity. And you might not, you might know who you are as a citizen of the state of Texas or of the United States. You might have the ID card to prove it or the passport or the certificate. But do you know your identity in Christ? Do you know who you are in Jesus? There are a lot of people who go through life and they don't know who they are. But all of us are seeking an identity. Do you realize that? Every one of us are seeking an identity. And we find our identity in all kinds of ways. We see this in little kids, right? You can watch a group of small children play and you can begin to see how these children are seeking an identity. They'll gravitate to this group or they'll gravitate to that group and depending on what's happening or the dynamics of the playtime or the group, you can begin to see these kids begin to identify. This group identifies with one another. This group identifies with one another. And in seeking that identity, we're seeking affirmation. We're seeking worth. We're seeking to be affirmed. And if you don't understand your identity, if you don't know who you are, you're going to go to the world and you're going to let the world define who you are. Or you're going to conform yourself to the world or some aspect of the world in order for you to have an identity that seems to bring you what you feel like you need or what you're looking for. So this is what we see people who, who just follow the crowd, who conform. I mean, now our culture is full of this, right? I mean, we wear certain, well, I don't, but it's not uncommon. Why do athletes, so it's the, who's watching the NBA playoffs? Anybody watching? Anybody? Yeah, well, my team got knocked out, but anyways, but. If you know anything about, it doesn't have to be basketball, it can be football, but basketball is one of those things, you know, where uh, these guys, these LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry, they get paid millions and millions of dollars for companies like Nike and Adidas to put their names on their tennis shoes. Now, there's nothing special about those shoes. You can go to Walmart and, and pay a fraction of the amount of money for a pair of shoes that's just as good, probably built in the same factory. The difference is it's got a Walmart brand instead of Steph Curry or KD or LeBron James. But why do kids make their parents, drive their parents crazy to get a certain shoe or a certain shirt or a certain article of clothing that's got someone's name on it because they want to identify with that person. And you will pay hard-earned money so that you can identify. Some of you drive a certain brand of automobile because you want to make sure you've got that brand on your car or your truck we all do it 
in all kinds of ways. Because we all have this inherent desire. I'm going to say we all have this inherent need to identify, to find our identity. So Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and in this foundational letter, he is giving us foundational truth that really have to do with our identity. So let's, let's read together. Let's read the first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation of the fullness of the times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. In those 14 verses of Scripture, there is so much truth that is so relevant and so powerful and so deep. We could spend a year teaching through just those few verses or more. Because what I just read in those 14 verses of Scripture encompass the entire message of the Bible. In dealing with our salvation, our redemption, and our identity. 
So let's, let's just take this a verse at a time and go through and look at some of these things. We're going to begin this today, but we're going to carry this through as we, as we look at these first three chapters of Ephesians. It's a very, very important truth that we're going to talk about. Now we prayed today, and I'm not picking on April, but I've known April for a long time, and I've seen God do some amazing things in their family, and I've seen them walk through some really difficult times, and I think April would be the first to tell you, and many of you could probably testify of this that we oftentimes turn to things that are not good for us. We turn to those things in an effort to try to cover up our pain or to deal with our suffering or whatever it is that we're going through in life that seems so overwhelming that instead of dealing with it, or maybe I feel like I can't deal with it, we just try to escape it. And if we do that, not even if we do it long enough, we can do that one time and and it can impact us the rest of our life. But we can get trapped in this cycle of trying to either escape my identity or trying to find my identity. And this is the scheme of the enemy. This is the plan of the enemy. The enemy doesn't not the enemy does not want you to know who you are in Christ. The enemy does not want you to know what God has made available for you in Jesus Christ. The enemy wants you to think that you can find it yourself. You can overcome it yourself. You can, you can escape it. You can, whatever it takes. He'll lie to you. He'll deceive you. But here is something that's so important for us to understand, church. You don't have to, in Jesus Christ, you don't have to believe the lie. In fact, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. Now when we are lost and dead in our sin. That's exactly how the Bible describes us. We're going to see this in Ephesians chapter 2 when we get there. That when we were dead in trespass and sin, God made us alive. Now, what can a dead man see? And what can a dead man hear? And what can a dead man do to help himself? The answer is nothing to all three of those. He can't see anything. He can't hear anything. He can't do anything to help himself. And this is the condition that we are in before God saves us. We are dead. We are blind. We are deaf. And there is nothing that we can do to save ourselves, help ourselves, get ourselves out of our situation. Now let's look here. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, that's an identification Paul's saying, I'm not an apostle by my own will. Not that Paul was an unwilling apostle. Do you understand? 
Paul was a willing apostle. He, he loved what he did to the point that it cost him his life. You can go to the New Testament and read the laundry list of beatings and shipwrecks and scourgings and the things that were done to Paul. He was left for dead multiple times. He was a willing apostle. But he was an apostle by God's will. He didn't set out to be an apostle of Jesus Christ. But God chose him to be that apostle. So here is an identification. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. To the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus. You've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again because some of you might not have heard me say this. Go to Walmart and buy you one of those packages of uh, wax crayons, crayon pencils, and get you a wax crayon, and everywhere in your Bible you see these two words, in Christ. You'll find them in the New Testament. 230 some odd times every time you see that phrase in Christ highlight that in your Bible and then begin to go through your scripture and see what God has promised us and where he has promised us and how much the scripture repetitively teaches us and reveals to us that what we have we have in Christ to the saints, the faithful in Christ. Where are you found faithful in Christ? Where are you called saints in Christ? Not because you did something great. Get, get, this, get this, half of my family's Catholic. So the Catholic mentality is you got to do all kinds of great things and then have all these people testify of that and and then you might qualify for sainthood and they label you a saint then they'll make you a little necklace out of you and you can wear it around your neck and you become the patron saint of something but if we read the bible we see that paul calls the believers saints He calls them saints, not because of what the believers did, but because of what Christ did. Because, and we're fixing to see what Christ did. Because of what Christ did, they are labeled saints. Because they are in Christ, they are called saints. Because they are in Christ, they are called faithful. That's an identity. Where is your identity, Christian? The answer is your identity is in Christ. It's in Christ. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father. I just don't have time, but you could just go through each of these verses. Grace to you and peace. Where does grace and peace come from? Some of you can testify you've discovered that grace and peace doesn't come from a bottle. 
It doesn't come from a pill. It doesn't come from a needle. It doesn't come from a weed. It comes from God the Father. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The world is looking for grace and peace every place you can imagine. Grace and peace comes from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the relationship that will give you grace and peace. It's not hooking up with some hot guy or some hot girl or I'm going to leave this one and go to this one. I mean, the world is rampant with that. And we see it in our children, that our children seek relationships that affirm them because they're trying to find a measure of grace and peace in their life. Grace is not earned. Grace is a free gift. Yet we see people are trying to earn love and trying to earn favor and trying to earn all kinds of things. And they're selling their soul and they're sacrificing themselves in order to get it. But the Bible says that grace and peace come from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. And God gives His grace as a free gift. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. Who has? I want you to notice has. If you know anything about the English language, that's a past tense. And it's past tense in the English because that's what's communicated in the Greek. He has. It's not he will one day, but he has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Where? In Christ. Where have we already been blessed with every spiritual blessing? In Christ. So I want you to see that he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Verse 4, just as he chose us in him. When he saw that we were going to be good little boys and girls. Oh wait, I don't think that's what the Bible says. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Some of you think God up in heaven is watching your every move and he's trying to figure out whether he's going to save you or not. He's trying to figure out whether he's going to love you or not. He's trying to figure out based on what you're doing whether he's going to bless you or not. But that's not what the Bible says. So here's what I want to encourage you to do, church. I want you to I want you to cast down those vain imaginations. I want you to cast down those things that the world and your sinful nature and your sinful ideas and the sinful stereotypes that we live with have exalted in our mind. And I want you to let the world demolish those things. And I want you to see that he chose you in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That's before the creation. That's before there was a sun, a moon, stars, galaxies, black holes. And before you ever did one thing, the Bible says God chose us in him before the foundation of the world. 
And why did he choose us? That we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Look at verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. There is identity. Having predestined us to adoption as sons. What happens when you adopt a child? Whose child does that child become? It becomes yours. Whose name does that child take? It takes your name. So when God adopted us, guess what? We became His. And when He adopted us, He gave us His name. That means our identity is in Him. Having predestined. That word predestined means foreordained. He marked us out before the foundations of the world were formed having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself. Why did he do that? Well, the Bible gives us the answer. So the best interpretation of the Bible is going to always be the Bible. Why did God choose us in him before the foundation of the world? Why did God predestine us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself? He did it according to the good pleasure of his will. God didn't choose you because he knew you'd get everything right or because he thought or he knew you'd get most things right or even half things right. God chose you because it was the good pleasure of his will. It had nothing to do with how good you are. It had nothing to do with how right you are because the Bible is very clear there is none good no not one that's in Romans chapter 3 quoting from the Psalms there is none good no not even one well there was one good and Jesus made that clear when the rich young ruler comes and he says good teacher and Jesus says well wait a minute you just called me good Why did you call me good? For there is none good but one. And that's God. Jesus is the God-man who walked. He is the only one who walked in utter perfection and holiness and righteousness. We'll get more into that when we get into chapter 2 of Ephesians. So he predestined us because it was the good pleasure of his will. And he did so to the praise of the glory of his grace. The praise of the glory of his grace. Some people are afraid of grace because they believe grace gives us permission to sin. You don't have to have permission to sin. You're born in sin. That's why you sin. Because you're born a sinner. Grace should give us reason to praise His glory to praise His grace because He chose us, because He predestined us, not because He saw that we would be good. He knew that we were sinful, yet He still chose us. Why? According to the good pleasure of His will and to the praise of the glory of His grace. Grace is glorious. Grace 
should create in us a sense of thankfulness, a sense of humility, because none of us have any reason to boast. The only boast we have is in the cross. That's what Paul said. My only boast is in the cross. I purpose to know nothing among you except Jesus and him crucified. I have nothing to boast about except the cross of Christ. Why is that? Because it is by the cross of Christ that God has redeemed us and made us his sons. Now I want to say something to you women out there. We have this movement taking place where that's bigoted. Why doesn't this proves Paul's a bigot because he says adoption as sons. Why didn't he say adoption as sons and daughters? And we got people rewriting the Bible today to add daughters or to make everything gender neutral because, because they're just deceived and they, they have no clue what the Bible is really even teaching us. Do you know why Paul says adoption as sons? It's not that he was dissing women. He was telling men and women something about their inheritance. Because we are joint heirs with Jesus. Who is Jesus? He's the firstborn son. And we are joint heirs with Jesus. We saw this in Ephesians chapter 5. If you remember Ephesians 5.30 where Paul says we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now, you can't get any more intimate than that. We are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. We are one with Christ. And the reason Paul says adoption as sons is because he's telling us about our inheritance that the inheritance that God is giving us in Christ is not a second class inheritance. It's not the leftover inheritance. It's not what all the, what all the, the, the brothers took and, and then the sisters just left to whatever their husbands can give them. This is the way our culture works. Different cultures work differently, but this is why we look at the Bible. And if we're reading the Bible with human understanding and we're basing it on, on what our culture is defining for us, we're, we're missing everything. This is a beautiful picture of God giving. This is why Paul says there is now neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. Paul wasn't abolishing gender roles. Paul wasn't saying that, that men aren't the head of the home. He says that. We're going to read it. I mean, it's right there in Ephesians. He's not abolishing gender roles. He's saying that in Christ, the blessings that we have, what God has given to us in Christ, there, there, it's not about male or female. It's not about whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. It's not about whether you're slave or free, rich or poor, black, white, brown, yellow, red. It has nothing to do with that because our identity is not in any of those things. Your identity in Christ is not whether you're a man or a woman or a Jew or a Gentile or whether you're, you're what color your skin is. It, it, it's not based on how much money you have or how rich you are or how free you are your identity is based on who you are in Jesus and God chose you in him 
in Christ before the foundation of the world. And God predestined you to be adopted as sons, sons and joint heirs, that you would receive the fullness of the inheritance that he has sealed and guaranteed for us by the Holy Spirit. This is what Paul goes on to say here. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us all the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. He's done this according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. That in the dispensation, that in the administration of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. That should just make us pause and think. But I can't think too long because I only have 10 minutes. So you'll have to think on your own. Look at verse 11. In him also we have obtained an inheritance. How did, who gets the inheritance? If you have an inheritance... And you have children. It's understood that the inheritance goes to the children. It's called an inheritance. This is why Paul writes and he says, God has predestined us to the adoption as sons. And as sons, we will receive an inheritance from our father. This is language that shapes our identity, that tells us who we are in Christ. We are chosen in Christ. We were foreordained to be his sons in Christ. We are heirs in Christ. We have an inheritance. This is shaping and defining who we are. And we have no reason to boast and point fingers and say, oh, I'm a better son than you are. I'm a better child than you are. No, because we were all unworthy. And God chose to do what he did and to extend grace freely according to the good pleasure of his will. So the only one, the only thing we can boast in is Christ. But look at this. In him, verse 11, in him we have attained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So we were predestined according to the counsel of his will. We have this inheritance according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted. That phrase there is referring to the Jews. Paul is a Jew and he's writing and he's saying, as a Jew, as God's chosen people, we were the ones that first trusted in God. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. In him, in Christ, you also trusted. After you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Now what Paul is doing there is destroying any anything that would give anyone a reason to say, well, I'm of the Jews, I'm of the ones who first trusted. You know, you Gentiles, you came later. So you're, you're a little bit, you're, you're, you're down here and I'm up here. Paul is demolishing that idea. And he says, yes, we first trusted, but you also trusted in him when you heard the gospel. And to prove that you are truly an adopted son, to prove that you truly are an heir, to prove that you truly have been given that identity, he has given you his Holy Spirit and he has sealed you with the Holy Spirit. He's put the seal of the Holy Spirit on you. The Holy Spirit of promise. The Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance. We have an identity. It is in Christ. And God didn't just make some flippant statement and say, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to treat you like a son. Don't worry. And then go off and leave you. No, God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. He predestined you to adoption as sons in Jesus Christ. He's made you an heir. And to make sure that you understand this is a promise that's guaranteed. He has given you the Holy Spirit. He has sealed you with the spirit of promise as a guarantee of your inheritance that you are truly a son of God. That you are truly a child of God. That you are truly an heir of God by grace through faith. You say, Pastor, how do I know that I am a child of God? Are you trusting Jesus? Are you trusting Jesus? I want you to I want you to answer that question in your heart and your mind right now. Are you trusting Jesus for everything? For your salvation, for your life. He is your life. There is life in no other. I didn't ask you if you get everything right all the time. I didn't ask you if you've fallen. I didn't ask you if you're struggling. I didn't ask you how good you are. I didn't ask you how many times you do better than worse. I'm saying, are you trusting in Jesus? That's what I'm asking. Are you trusting Jesus? And if you are trusting Jesus, the Bible says that that faith is a gift from God. Your ability to trust Jesus comes from God. If you call upon his name, you will be saved. That's a picture of calling from your heart. Jesus said, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is faith in Jesus in your heart? Speak it out. Cry out. Trust him. And trust in his grace to carry you 
because his promise will not fail. Remember, that's what I told the kids today. And that's what I'm going to tell you. His promise will not fail. He's given you the Holy Spirit. Life is a struggle. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying with God, all things are possible. And God has done the heavy lifting by making you his child by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Ephesians 5.8, walk as children of light. Amen.